This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Monday the 3rd of May 2021. Well, if you're living in Perth, you already know this. You were just coming out of a lockdown, a snap lockdown that we had a week or so ago there. And then all of a sudden, there's been some more cases that have popped up out of hotel quarantine. A security guard and some of their housemates have tested positive. So some restrictions have been brought back into that city. And Norman, it's really kind of, apart from being hugely disruptive to that city, they haven't gone back into lockdown, but it's really shining a spotlight on hotels being used for quarantine and just how imperfect that system seems to be. Let's just talk about the uh, you know what happened yesterday in Perth. The local derby, which is the, as they say the derby between the Eagles and the Dockers, was played in front of no fans, which is a huge thing in Perth. Huge, okay, you just don't know how huge that is, but a very sensible thing to do and a small price to play for not going to quarantine. I suspect that while the premier said that uh, if this had happened two or three weeks ago, they'd gone to lockdown, which I'm sure is true because they'd been locked down last week and people were already a bit socially distanced, that they weren't so worried this time they weren't going to go to lockdown, at least not yet. But I also think that the subtext here is that Western Australians are getting, or West Australia is getting more used to and confident in contact tracing to control it. And I think this is probably a bit of a test for them. And maybe next time they won't go to lockdown quite as quickly. Right. So the lockdown is really a backstop for the contact tracing system to roll into gear and be able to trace those contacts. And you're saying that because that system is actually working quite well, they don't need a lockdown necessarily. Yeah, they may not. I mean, yesterday at the press conference, uh, Premier McGowan said, quoted New South Wales, which we've done as well, because they didn't have a short, sharp lockdown. They kind of did bits and pieces, took ages for them to get to even mask wearing. And it burbled on for days and weeks, uh, weeks, in fact, and was really a chronic festering problem for New South Wales, even though they managed to control it. And he quoted a figure of $3 billion as the cost of that problem going through Greater Sydney and the Northern Beaches over Christmas. And where he's saying that if you, you know, the implication is if you've gone to short sharp lockdown in Sydney, you might have been able to get it under control quickly. Um, but coming back to your original question, it does show there's a problem with uh, hotel quarantine, maybe specific to Western Australia, maybe there's something that's happening there, maybe specific to the hotels, or just the fact that it's um, it's inadequate. It was a different hotel, the Pan Pacific, from what I can understand. And, and we got an interesting, you got an interesting email the other day. Yeah, this, one, this person isn't from Perth, uh, but it, it gels with things that we've heard from other people in hotel quarantine. This person's in New South Wales. And they said that they were a bit concerned about the in-quarantine COVID swab protocol, which is where they stand at the room door to, to have the test, which is so that the person doing the test doesn't come into the room and increase their own risk of catching COVID because obviously these people are in quarantine because they could have it. But it means that uh, this person's worried that it means that it perhaps introduces extra risk to other people in quarantine because they're taking off their mask, they're in the corridor, they're having the test done out there in the corridor. And it seems to be that some uh, interpretations of how this has spread in hotel quarantine before has been through air in corridors. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's very hard to comment on this and very hard to know how else they're going to do the swab, but it does create risk. Whereas if you were in a cabin and you came out into the open air, 
then you're not going to risk anybody else, apart from the person doing the swab, who presumably is in full PPE. But doesn't this also just, I mean, can we just take a second to talk about hotel quarantine as a protective measure for Australia as a whole? Because we are seeing, although there are definitely many, many parts of the world that are still very much in the throes of a deadly pandemic, we're also seeing millions of vaccines rolled out in other countries. And really, the the vaccine rollout here has still been very slow. There's got to be a limit to how long Australia can just rely on hotel quarantine as its main defence. Um, yeah, at some point we are going to have to open up. Australians do have the right to come home and uh, it's very difficult. And so you either go to purpose-built facilities and you upscale and allow people to come back in larger numbers. Um, the government has now repeatedly rejected the idea is just too hard to immunise people overseas. Hard to know what's too hard about it. If you could get astrovaccine. I mean, I, I, I believe that some American consulates are, in, are immunizing consulate staff with Pfizer vaccine, which isn't necessarily approved in, the, in those places. So these things are possible if you put your mind to it. But anyway, we won't harp on about that. But you're, you're right, at some point, it's going to have to be lifted and probably around the time that there's 90% of us immunized. But this does depend on variants and how well the vaccines protect us against variants. And we don't have enough discussion about that. And we don't seem to be procuring variant-specific vaccines. Well, as always, we've got questions from our audience, and a few of them do deal with vaccines and variants, uh, especially this one from John, who says, does the current AstraZeneca vaccine protect against serious illness from the serious variants? We don't know. It looks as if it does, but we don't know, and whether it's against all variants. It certainly doesn't protect against all infection with the South African virus to any significant extent, but that's in a small study. So it's yet to be seen. The Pfizer vaccine seems to have more evidence behind it, that it's much more variant resistant. But Moderna's the vaccine, which is the same technology as Pfizer, so you assume that it's got similar robustness to variants, but they're going ahead, I think as is Pfizer, but they're going ahead and probably ahead of Pfizer in developing a variant vaccine. I'm glad you mentioned Moderna because Mary has written a question about that as well. Will Australia be getting the Moderna vaccine, which has just been approved by the WHO? And if so, can it be approved and released this year? Well, it could certainly be approved this year. Um, all, all the data are available to approve it. So there's, there's no, and you've now had you know, tens of millions of people who've had the Moderna vaccine. So it's got superb data behind it for the TGA to approve it, should Moderna apply for approval. And it could, be re- it could be released very quickly in Australia if indeed the government has bought it. But there's no, signs that the government, there's no sign that the government has bought it. There is some suggestion that they will require some no-fault coverage, which means that if there's a problem with the vaccine or somebody thinks there's a problem with the vaccine, it doesn't have to go to court and somebody will get comp- the person will get compensation regardless. And we don't have no-fault compensation here, but it would not take much for us to pass it so we could get the Moderna vaccine. Plenty of other countries have done this, and Israel has just bought or booked many million doses of the Moderna variant vaccine. Question is, why haven't we? Well, speaking of variants, we've talked before about how there's a theory that some of these variants might have come up when people who are immunocompromised are infected with the virus and they have a prolonged infection. And there's a really interesting case study that you found about a really prolonged infection in someone with who was immunocompromised. Yeah, this is in uh, a journal called Open Forum Infectious Diseases, and it's an Italian paper of a man in Italy who had what's called mental cell lymphoma. It's basically non-Hodgkin's. It's a form of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. 
And what they found was that this man was positive. He shed SARS-CoV-2 for eight months and he had relapses uh, on and off. And remdesivir helped in getting rid of what's called a viremia, which is like the viral infection, the virus equivalent of septicemia, where it's a bacterial infection. So this is virus running in your blood. And as the virus is running in your blood, you get symptoms of really being quite unwell. So remdesivir did help to clear the viremia, the virus in your blood and the symptoms, but didn't clear the virus from his uh, upper respiratory tract. The man had certainly... Um, his T lymphocytes were disabled. That's part of your immune system. Partly presumably because of the treatment for his non-Hodgkin's lymphoma or maybe even the non-Hodgkin's lymphoma itself. Um, And the killer cells that attack viruses were disabled as well. So this is exactly the situation, as you quite rightly say, where you can get variants emerging, where the virus is constantly replicating in somebody's body, the antibody response and the immune response is ineffective and gives the mutants in the virus a chance to mutate around the antibody response. And the antibodies are the same ones to the original virus, which is presumably what the vaccines are designed to affect. So you end up by implication a vaccine-resistant mutant. I'm not saying that's what happened in this case, but that's how it occurs. Right. So we're not, we don't know for sure if this person has spawned a new uh, mutant strain of the virus, but it tells us a little bit more about how it could happen in a very rare case. You say a very rare case. We don't know if this is a rare case because this person's been followed because he got quite sick on repeated occasions and they were testing him. Whereas there may be somebody who's had chemotherapy like this man had but wasn't sick and had COVID and was brewing it unbeknownst to anybody. So what do we take away from this paper? We take away from this paper that anybody with cancer needs to be immunised so that they don't get infected in the first place and they need to be affected, you know, immunised with a very effective vaccine like Pfizer or Moderna. Well, that's all we've got time for on Coronacast today. Please keep sending your questions in by going to abc.net.au slash coronacast, clicking on Ask a Question and mentioning Coronacast so we can find it. We'll see you tomorrow. See you then. 